Hi, I'm Brady Breeze, safety for the Detroit Lions, and you're listening to The Only Playbook. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Only Playbook. We are so excited to have you guys here because, as you can see, we have a special guest with us. In this episode specifically, I have deemed Tage Talk because we are joined by none other than former PFF research and development intern, Tage Seth. Tage, thank you so much for have, or coming on, man. It's an absolute treat, and uh, we certainly appreciate your time. Of course, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, let's let's start things off again. We appreciate you guys joining us. If you're, you know, supporting us throughout this this past nine months that we've, you know, come about, we're everywhere, all the platforms, YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, Anchor, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. So appreciate all the support. Absolutely. I want to kick things off, Tage. I'm going to give you the floor. Give us a quick two-minute introduction. Tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for letting me do this. So I am currently a rising senior at the University of Michigan, uh, majoring in information analysis and minoring in applied statistics. Um, and yeah, this past year, I was a research and development intern for Pro Football Focus. So got to work under Eric Eager there, who does a lot of cool public work. And, you know, I had a, had a really good experience building different models, uh, both on the public side and like, you know, behind the scenes that can help teams. And um, yeah, it's, it, it was, you know, I just, I've, I grew up a, a Lions fan, uh, even though the first year that I like followed football closely was the 2008-0-16 season. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, for some reason, I, I still decided to, to stick with it. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that they can, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, successfully put together the rebuild here and, and get back to competing for, for playoffs and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it, there's no way to truly test a fandom without having your first year as being a fan where they go in 16. So for you to still be here 14 years later as a diehard Lions fan, that's a pretty big testament, man. Cause it seems like in your lifetime, the Lions haven't had a tremendous amount of success. So, um, you know, to be able to overcome all those, it makes, you know, our lifetimes and our, whatever success, you know, our teams have amounted to seem, seem not as drastic. And so, uh, uh, but Tage, we want to pick your brain a little bit. We want to jump into obviously uh, a little bit about your PFF background. Um, how did, how did, how did that opportunity come about? Um, how, what did you feel like you got kind of the most from that opportunity and, and moving forward and, and other things you, that you do, what do you think you're going to take away from all of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so that opportunity really came. Uh, so my, my sophomore year of college, uh, you know, as I was looking for internships and stuff, I had my Twitter account where I was posting about like football analytics or just like any analysis or graph that like I put together, I would just throw out there. And it started to, you know, pick up some some traction and stuff. And I noticed that um, some some PFF employees started to follow me on that account. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, PFF was always a company, you know, since since uh, high school that like I've, you know, I've read articles and I've, I really like their data. And so I, I reached out to one of the employees and I said, like, do you know if PFF is offering any internships this summer? And he put me in touch with, with Eric Eager. Um, and, and I went through the interview process and was able to, to get that. And, you know, it was a, it was a great experience working there, um, you know, having access to, you know, basically any type of data that you know I wanted to get my hands on was was really cool and you know talking to to the fantasy guys and you know the college football guys and you know just just like different different people were giving me different perspectives on football and like I I, I really enjoyed you know just just going through all of that 
Yeah. I mean, again, that's, that sounds like a dream come true for somebody who is into analytics and into football, right? I mean, that's, that's like a match made in heaven. Um, one thing that I want to, I'll start us off and ask is again, it's an, an analytically driven world right now, right? I, I even, I watch a lot of baseball and baseball has been heavy into analytics recently. I know football's, you know, trending that way as well for, for people that, you know, again, use the argument or logic analytics versus eye tests. And now that there's, you know, you can, you've used your eyes to view something. A lot of times they're creating statistics now to quantify what it is that you're trying to quantify with your eye test. Tage, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what you found from analytics that, you know, help debunk a lot of the, oh, well, you know, I'm still going to use my eye test to determine who's good and who's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think, I think like there's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of metrics out there for, different positions that can really help you like rank players in the position. But I think the main thing that analytics has really helped me understand is positional value and, you know, how important, you know, that is when team building, right? Like, you know, analytics has, has really shown that, you know, using premium picks in the NFL draft on running backs, linebackers and interior offensive linemen doesn't have the same returns and the same surplus value as using it on the premier positions. Uh, you know, everyone knows quarterback, but like really should be prioritizing things that can help you in the passing game, uh, wide receivers, offensive tackles, edge rushers. And then you can throw like, you know, secondary pieces in like slightly a tier below. So that's really like changed the way I've watched football, um, you know, because because I, I watch a lot of it uh, during the season. But, you know, I, I started to see like, oh, like, I you know, I can kind of see like how you can plug in a linebacker there. And like, you know, it, it, it doesn't have as big of a drop off as if you're playing backup corners or something like that. Yeah. I, again, I think a lot of that is what, you know, I utilize PFF for is a lot of their grades and all that stuff. And, and, and it's all great. Right. Um, the, the one biggest thing that I think I've found in, in differences is, um, where do you draw the line, right? I mean, it's not like these statistics are 100%, you know, should be your basis for judging a player. I'm sure there's other ways to also do it, but even from somebody with that background with PFF, is there like a certain take it with a grain of salt or maybe certain positions that you found don't, you know, grade statistically as accurately as other positions will, if you will. Yeah. That's yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's yeah, you, you definitely cannot just use analytics to evaluate players. Um, you know, there's I, I try to look at, at many as many things as I can. So like I don't try to use end all be all statistics for any player when comparing within positions. Um, expected points added for quarterbacks, for example, is like a good metric to use, but that's influenced by your play caller and your receivers and your offensive line. So then you can look at, you know, different things where you adjust for that type of stuff and try to make a better metric out of that. Um, but, you know, to talk about a position that isn't stable year to year, it's it's cornerback play. And that's evaluated by, you know, PFF grade or completion percentage when targeted or passer rating when targeted. And we've seen that fluctuate a lot for a lot of cornerbacks throughout their career. Um, you know, like I, I think a really good example of that is Darius Slay, who, you know, can half the years that he's been in the in the NFL, he's played at a Pro Bowl level. And the other half of the years, you know, he's gotten burnt by receiver after receiver. So, you know, it, it just happens a lot where secondary play just isn't as stable as, you know, like a, like um, things involved in the passing offense and defensive line play and, you know, different positions like that. 
Yeah, it's an interesting point about the whole wide receiver offense tackle about the draft grades that you mentioned, a draft uh, style that you mentioned this year, because that's kind of what it was, right? We, had, we saw so many wide receivers get off the board. We saw so many offensive tackles and even edge rushers. So it's not, it seems like, you know, the NFL is a full on board with analytics and it's like, that's, that's the future, right? Yeah, I think it's because, you know, analytics has worked in so many other sports. You know, you 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 talked about baseball, sweetheart. Like, you know, the you know the the Moneyball era in the early two thousands really changed the whole landscape of baseball, and it worked for the A's, it's worked for the Dodgers, it's worked for the Tampa Bay Rays, um, and then you saw it in basketball with the mid range theory, where you know three point winner. Yeah, it's it's three points or layups, right? Three points or layups. Um, you know, the Warriors really led that revolution. Uh, and then we've seen it in other sports too. Like in, I don't follow soccer that closely, but uh Brentford was the is kind of like the moneyball team of soccer. Mm-hmm. And they like way outperformed their uh the the salary that they like had uh this year in the Premier League. So I think that's where like teams can kind of look around and see that it's it's working in so many other sports and kind of apply that to football and say, we can build up our analytics department and we don't have a salary cap there. So, you know, we can just spend as much money as we want uh, if we're the Ravens or the Browns and get some top analysts that can really help us uh, build a winning football team. Yeah, two things. I want to say two things regarding analytics. Uh, number one is it works better in sports that are less dynamic, like mm-hmm. baseball per se, right? Like the only thing dynamic about baseball is the pitcher and the catcher. Like that's where like multiple players integrate with each other before the play starts. Right. Uh, the rest of it is just re- retrieve the ball, throw it. You know, it's pretty, yeah. pretty straightforward on what you need to do. So analytics makes a lot of sense because you get the batters percentages and everything. And you can, you can organize things before things happen versus a sport like football. And this is why the huge debate is even prevalent is because it's a dynamic sport there's 11 dudes doing 11 different things um so the analytics on one it's not so much like pitch the ball in one direction there's a lot of things happening in all kinds of things and there's defensive strategies in play there's a lot happening in football that's why it's my favorite sport because there's it's never boring there's just so Mm -hmm. much happening in so many unique ways so it's hard to place numbers into that so that being said Analytics is amazing. Anybody that's refusing to incorporate analytics into your sport, into your field, it's just dumb. I think it's just stupid. Yeah, sometimes it looks far-fetched. Sometimes the eye test tends to win. But what is the eye test? It's a gut feeling, right? It's what you've seen, what you recognize, which is just as important. Uh, But I don't think it should be one versus the other. You need both. You need the data to to back up what Mm -hmm. at what rate does this play succeed, you know? And then you need the eye test to be like, you know what? I just have a hunch this cornerback's going to make a cut on the inside. There's no analytics for that, or at least there may be, but we don't have we don't have the data to exactly pinpoint the player's moves in whatever direction. Um, so that being said, I am a big fan of analytics. I just think there's a war between analytics and you know eye test, and I think that's the wrong way to approach this. Whether it's watching football or NFL uh, fantasy football. Uh, I think it's both equally important. If you really want to be good at something, or if you really want to see um, the success that people are having, you will quickly see that it's not completely analytics and it's not completely uh, eye test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I don't think there should be a like war uh, between you know people who who value the eye test and people who value analytics because 
I think working together is re really where you can get some really good results out of that. Um, you know, I've, I've learned so much from talking with like my friend Steven Ruiz or reading, you know, Ted Wynn's articles at The Athletic that are really deep in, you know, eye test and scheme related and stuff that I don't have as much of a background with. And that's helped me, you know, you know, do better analytical studies with, with the data that I have to work with. Um, so yeah, you're right. You're right about football being more dynamic than, than the other sports that, that I just mentioned. And like, that's why I think that the eye test will always be there for player evaluation. Um, but analytics is, is really, really useful for the stuff that's at uh, a more panoramic, panoramic view and like a higher level, uh, like fourth down decisions, like the two point conversions that you, you talked about earlier. Um, you know, like, like the positional value that I just mentioned that's where I really think that analytics can excel and then it can help with player evaluation, but you, you just have to watch the players play to have like a good feeling of them when you you're evaluating them and comparing them within position. Yeah. One thing I want to add is like um, analytics is good, but I feel like you know, there also should be an emphasis on the cost of the analytics being incorrect. Right. So like, for example, like uh, I was watching the Ravens play against the Colts last year. Right. And where, you know, ESPN chances of winning was like ninety nine point one percent for the Colts. They're playing the Ravens. And then Lamar Jackson comes back, scores two touchdowns <laughs> yeah. and then they, they win. They win the game. So it was like a point nine percent chance. But like, you know, if I'm if I'm a, a betting man, if I go based on analytics, like the cost of me being wrong there is very high. Same thing with like there's there's many instances there. So I wonder like you think about there's a 60% chance we're going to win if we get it right, but they should also think about, well, what's the percentage chance that we're going to lose if we get it wrong. Right. I, I'm, I'm sure like that, that kind of conversation also needs to be had, I think in, in, in the coaches boxes and all that. I think that was the game me and Sweetcar were watching with you. Right. And we're like, just wait, just wait. Dude, yeah. we, we all said it. It made no sense that the Ravens were down to like less than a percent to win. And I'm like, how are they analytically determining this? I mean, I guess it's based on time, possessions, et cetera, whatever the case may be. Right. But yeah. uh, again, it's not factoring the fact that Lamar Jackson runs a four or three and can run by your defense in like 10 seconds and you're touched on behind. Right. So like that's, that's, that's a little bit different. And so, um, I definitely am with you that, um, you know, there has to be a, well, what if this doesn't work or what, what, what's the negative mm -hmm. ramifications for, you know, being so analytically driven, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I can't speak for ESPN's win probability model. I've seen issues with it, you know, as, as, as you guys have mentioned, I've seen, you know, multiple times where they've looked overconfident, uh, not to go too off topic, but, you know, people were kind of, you know, talking about their, uh, their prediction for the Warriors Celtics final series where they have, they have the Celtics at like, I think like an 85% chance to win the series wow. which is like, is just way off there. So, you know, I, 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 yeah, that's like, I think like sometimes like people get caught up in, you know, just, just bucketing everything in analytics. Um, you know, the, the analytics that, that we try to do isn't related to like the consumer side. It's related to, you know, making like making people who read PFF articles, uh, smarter football fans are helping teams with different evaluations. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a different type of thing. And like, it's, it's tough to like really break down a black box model, like ESPNs. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, it's, it's definitely not like trying to do anything that like actually changes the outcome of the game. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, and I think, uh, 
you know, coming, coming from football and then coming from analytics, it sounds like even in college and stuff, you have an emphasis in analytics and statistics as a whole, um, shifting gears away from PFF. What, what do you foresee the future holding for you or like, what, what are your plans? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so this summer I'm working outside of sports. Um, I'm doing, doing risk analytics consulting, uh, just because I wanted to see like what it was like to work with data, not in the sports world. And like, if I would still enjoy working with it, you know, if I could pick up any new skills, uh, since I kind of have a summer, you know, before I start my senior year, but, you know, I, I definitely see myself, uh, after I graduate working somewhere in the data world, uh, if it's in sports, I don't necessarily see myself working with a team. Like I get asked a lot, you know, to like why, why I don't want to work with a team. And it's because, you know, they're working 80 to 90 hours a week, uh, which I think is, you know, is, is a lot. Like even, even for me who like, who puts it, who likes to put, put in the work, you know, that's, that's a lot to handle. Um, and then like, like the NFL just isn't as analytically driven as, um, as other leagues are right now, you know, I've, I have friends in the league who have said that like coaches will just ignore report that they spent the whole week working on just because like, they don't believe in, in this type of stuff. And like, that's not super fulfilling for me. So if I do work in sports, it would be hopefully on the content side where I can do a podcast like you guys have here. Um, you know, I can, I can tweet out, you know, different graphs that I make, um, and, and just, you know, write, write and talk about football, which is, you know, what, like my favorite thing to do is. That's what we need to know. We need to know which coaches are not taking the <laughs> analytics and then bet on the other team and see how well we do. <laughs> yeah. is, is analytics winning, right? That's the yeah. ultimate determination. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, again, that, that's that's super interesting. Um, and, and, you know, you're hitting the nail on the head specifically for me is like the dream is to continue to talk about football for a living and, and, and just be able to dissect it in a different lens than, you know, just from a surface level perspective, if you will. And so, um, you know, that's, that's a lot of really good PFF insight. Do you guys have any other analytic analytical yeah. type questions? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have a huge question about PFF rankings because again, like I watched games and they pop up with the PFF rankings and some players like Minka Fitzgerald was ranked the 42nd best safety in Patrick football. Minkovic. And yeah. yeah. What did I say? Fitzgerald, Larry Fitzgerald. Comment oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. Yeah, Mika Fitzpatrick. <laughs> and I'm like, what type of numbers are they looking at here? Like, at what point do you say, I don't want to look at PFF grades anymore? Like, how do, how, do you, how do I compartmentalize that while also understanding, like, the game, which I've been understanding since day one, how do I let that affect my judgment about Mika Fitzpatrick? Like, how, how does that work? Yeah, I think, so I, I, I prefer using objective measures to to evaluate players um like i would rather have used minka fitzpatrick's like completion percentage over expected when targeted instead of their their pff grade because i that i think is a little too subjective but i think you know the way to kind of use numbers uh when when evaluating players is it has to pass the smell test and i call this the mahomes darnold law um which is basically if you make a quarterback metric and mahomes isn't on top or Darnold isn't on bottom, then you did something <laughs> wrong with it, right? <laughs> so it should go like that for, for basically every position. If the players mm. that should be in the top 10 for you when you watch and study football aren't there for a metric or a grade or anything Dude, like that. that is that, genius. Then, then don't. I like then that. Just, just, yeah, just, just go by it, you know, ignore it, and, and just, like, look at other ways to evaluate players um, that are that are more similar to you know what you think should be in line 
Yeah, no, I, I think that I think that's a great point. I think far too often I again let things like that sway my like like you said, show like we think about Minka Fitzpatrick as a premier safety in the league, and then you look at his PFF grade and you're like, whoa, like he ranked pretty poorly. Um, and and I have found that a lot with more so offensive linemen where I see like a grade versus like what I feel like I see on the field. And an offensive line is such a, a player is such a interesting position to besides like you know pressures allowed or sacks given up like if they just did their job for that play like where's the there's no stat for it yeah like how are you quantifying they just did their job versus like you know they pancake the guy or they they created one extra yard of 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 carry for their running back etc and so um a lot of that is is the tough stuff that like you can get you know kind of caught into the weeds on but it's still fascinating that i think we're all coming to a consensus that a lot of times your eye test is what you believe in, right? Like you said, showed it's what you watch. It's what you feel like you understand and know about a sport that you feel like you know well. And so using analytics to help support some of those claims that your eye test is providing you is where analytics is at its best, right? Because then you mm-hmm. can you can coincide it with your belief and like, I was right. My eye test actually prevailed versus the opposite where, again, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're wrong and the analytics is right. It's just that my perception versus what the numbers are actually telling me are a little bit different. So maybe I need to analyze this a little bit further or, or something is not giving. And so um, again, it, it is a war, but it doesn't need to be because you can use both of these to just be smarter as a football fan. You need, you, know? you need both of these. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's good that we like have different opinions on that stuff because if the NFL just becomes an efficient league where everyone has the same opinion on everyone and everyone's behaving the same way, then there wouldn't be anything for us to talk about. Right. So like, it's, it's yeah. good that like teams behave in suboptimal ways sometimes so that we can critique it. Um, and, and, and that people like think differently of, of different players and because it provides like good debate topics and stuff. So yeah, I, I, I do like how you, yeah, you guys are like really open to, to mixing in both of, of the, you know, the, the, he got that dog in them. Dude, that's been such a big meme this year. I feel like more so than other years, he's got that dog in him. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's good. That's good stuff. Do you guys have any other analytic stuff? I'm sure we could spend hours on this, but again, time, time is of the essence here. Tage, let's jump into a little bit of your Lions fandom. I know again, us being Vikings fans, we talked a little bit about again, when you became a fan and, 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 you know, up until this point, there hasn't been a lot of, you know, success stories or things to be like, holy crap, this was, you know, my highlight of my Lions fandom. And so like, uh, I want to start you start off with you kind of just telling us how did you become a Lions fan? And after the Owen 16 season, how did you get so emotionally invested that you were like, this is going to be my fandom. I am a diehard Lions fan after they didn't win a single game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was. So what it was, was uh, when my, when my grandpa came from India, when, when he was around 20 years old, uh, he, he like wanted to get more into, to American things here. Right. And, you know, he, he came to Detroit to work in the auto industry and, you know, the lions were, you know, like something that people did, something that people talked about. So he, he, you know, he started watching the games, um, you know, around the time when my dad was, you know, starting to get into football as well. And like, they were able to watch them together. And, uh, then when I was, you know, when I was around seven or eight years old, like I, I started watching games with them and like, that was like where like my, like memories, you know, reside really is like watching the games with my dad and my grandpa was like very memorable. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily remember like outcomes of specific games when I was that young, but Mm -hmm. I do remember we'd all sit together one o'clock on a Sunday and just watch the Lions game together, which I thought was a lot of fun. So it kind of, you know, kind of stuck with me. 
Um, me and my dad are talking football all the time. You know, my, my mom, my brother get like really upset with us. <laughs> we don't talk about other stuff. Um, so it's, it's, it's just kind of like that. We're like, we're always breaking down different players in the Lions roster um, and, and just stuff like that. And like, that's why I've like stayed being such a big fan. Um, you know, even though it's been, it's been difficult at times and I've had to watch like other teams like have their moments. Like I know that like, if the lions do have a moment one year where they win a playoff game or they make a run to the super bowl, like all, you know, it, it might've been worth it to be this fan all along because like, yeah. that'll be a, a pretty cool experience. Absolutely. I agree with you there. Yeah, we share that sentiment as Vikings fans, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, the reality of the situation is the goal is to play for a Super Bowl. But in order to play for a Super Bowl, you have to have experienced enough like success as, you know, you know, an above average team or a team that's constantly 500 or a team that yeah. constantly gets to the playoffs, right? And so there's echelons of like where you want to reach. And the Lions aren't a team that's, you know, consistently in the playoffs. So I can see why for Lions fans, you know, just getting into the playoffs is a huge deal, right? Because that's not something that they expect every year or or is the end result. And then, like you said, if you make a historic playoff run, you know, for you, you know, to have the greatest Lions moment in your life be a Super Bowl, um, victory is very difficult to ascertain because they haven't even taken the steps to get there mm-hmm. yet. So, mm-hmm. so the highest peak level of emotion for you that you could feel next year could be the Lions win their first playoff game or win a playoff game and, you know, lose, but to you, that's a successful season. And so yeah. it, it, for us, we, we debate this all the time as Vikings fans, you know, we never in our lifetime have not experienced the Vikings making it to a Super Bowl, right? So mm-hmm. for us, we've seen playoffs, you know, we've seen playoffs and then just absolute annihilation in the playoffs where we don't show up. So it's a little bit of a logical theory where it's like, I'm not at this point in my fandom for me right now. Yes. I can assess where the Vikings are as an organization, as a team and have my realistic expectations where, you know, if they're in a rebuilding year, I'm not like super bowl or bust. I'm not going to watch this team, but situationally my goal is to witness the Vikings winning a super bowl at some point. Right. And Mm -hmm. everything that I try to assess for the Minnesota Vikings is steps taken to get to that ultimate goal. And so one common, you know, argument that the Vikings fans have, me and Shoshot even have, is the debate of Kirk Cousins. And Kirk Cousins is comparable to some people to Matthew Stafford, who obviously was a lion, has now left, has has tremendous amount of success with the Rams. So uh, I'm hoping maybe you can speak a little bit to, you know, the Matthew Stafford stuff. I know you're probably a big fan. You know what it was like to see him leave, and then if you were happy for a success, and then for people who are Kirk Cousins fans and Vikings fans, are there similarities that you personally see, or do the numbers show that, or you know what should we expect as Vikings fans with our quarterback? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about the experience uh, with Matthew Stafford this past year first. So I was a massive Matthew Stafford fan uh, when he was on the Lions. Um, I thought he was the only reason the team was relevant. Um, you know, since since they drafted him in 2009, uh, in games he didn't play in, they went in, in, including this year, they went five and 34 and one in games he didn't play in since 2009. And then he was basically like a 45 percent uh, win percentage quarterback when he played. So like like literally the only reason they were like kind of relevant um, his whole his whole time here. So when he went to the Rams, I got a knockoff uh, Stafford Rams jersey um, to to wear. You know when when he was playing. Um, you know it was, it was it was a great experience watching him throughout the playoffs, uh, especially like since he played really well in the playoffs. Like it wasn't like this Ram, the Rams like had this super team that like kind of carried him through the playoffs. Like I'm glad that he played well and won the Super Bowl. Um, and, and that was a great experience. And I think like a bunch of Lions fans like really rallied around him and were supporting him. And, you know, he has the AT&T commercial where he talks about like us supporting <laughs> him in the run and everything. Um, to to kind of compare him and Kirk Cousins, though, 
What's, what's really interesting about him and Kirk Cousins, if you want to look at like expected points added per play, or just kind of like what you think about them in general, is is their their mean is basically the same. Like when they're both playing at their 50th percentile average level, they'll put up basically the same numbers or they'll play at the same level or their teams will win about the same. The the thing about Stafford is when when he has his stretches in his career where he becomes really inaccurate for four or five games, um, you know, sometimes he's battling injury, sometimes he's just not playing well, he'll start throwing pick sixes or he'll start missing wide open receivers down the field. Cousins doesn't do that as much. Cousins is, is always very accurate. So his range of outcomes is just much more concentrated than Stafford's is. Stafford has the ceiling to play at a top five level for four or five games in a row and go win a Super Bowl like he just did this past year. Cousins doesn't have the floor as low as Stafford does because he has that accuracy to fall back on, but he just doesn't make as many big time throws and doesn't thread the needle as often and isn't as aggressive where it's harder to see him winning a Super Bowl. Like a lot of things would have to go right for that to happen. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's fair. Shishar, do you want to speak to that at all? No, that's exactly the reason. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a big consistency guy because I see the most success with consistency uh, rather than like, you know, um, uh, hope, hopefulness, you know, like, let's say we got um, a really fast running quarterback, uh, but he wasn't as accurate. You know, a lot of people just want that for the entertainment value to see the, what if, what, 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 what could happen if we had that other dynamic that we've never mm -hmm. had since Dante Culpepper or, you know, mm -hmm. maybe Tavares Jackson, whatever. Um, but when you really like dissect that thought process, um, you see that um, football is played by position, right? Like I'm not a big fan of quarterback being or wins and losses being a quarterback stat mm -hmm. um, because I'm so heavy on that one offensive guard that gets ignored. I think he plays just as big of a role as the quarterback does because the quarterback can't do shit if he's not doing his job. So um, that being said, I think, um, you know, with Stafford, you're right. You're absolutely, you hit it dead on. The, the floor is much lower than um, Cousins because of the erraticness, but how did he win a Super Bowl, right? Like you have to have that it factor. You have to be able to make that extra step that is outside of the range of consistency, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, and, and what you said with the, everything has to go right is perfectly accurate. And the, the worst part about being a Vikings fan is it felt like everything was right when we had Keenum, but Keenum didn't have the accuracy that Kirk Cousins did. Who knows what would have happened if we had that situation lined up perfectly. So things haven't lined up perfectly. There's some quarterbacks uh, who are so great that you don't need things aligned perfectly in order to take your team to the next level, right? The team will build around you like Aaron Rodgers, right? That's why you can't compare Aaron Rodgers to Kirk Cousins, um, although they're really good friends and whatever. Um, they're not the same, right? Like Aaron Rodgers has that it factor. He can make things happen with shitty wide receivers. Kirk Cousins can't do that, but he's also had five different offensive coordinator every he has, he's had a different, different offensive coordinator every year since he's existed, you know, like as far as um, trying to succeed in trying to grow, like, like, a, like a plant growing. He hasn't had that. He doesn't get nurtured like every other quarterback in the league does. So I think this season gives him the best opportunity to reach that Matthew Stafford ceiling, right. Um, to see to, the coaches believe in him. Uh, his head coach believes in him. GM believes in him. Um, and I think he believes in himself. And I think the team believes in him. So like, what more do you want? Right. Like if, if you're going to be consistent throwing 30 touchdowns and eight picks, I think if you do that, 
with a well-established team around you that where everybody understands their roles, that is also a way to win a Super Bowl. It doesn't have to be having a star quarterback, um, even though I do think Kirk Cousins is a star quarterback because of that consistency so hard to attain. Not many people can attain that. Um, but things have to fall perfectly for him. And I think things are actually have things have fallen perfectly. So if you can't do it this year, then it's probably never going to happen. Yeah, sure. But you got anything about Kirk Cousins? I know we talk about him a lot. <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, above average quarterback in my, in my eyes. I mean, this guy, he doesn't throw a lot of picks, like, what, 30 and like eight picks or something like that last year. I think that if I had him as a quarterback, given that the Steelers' quarterback situation with Mitch Trubisky and a, a, a rookie quarterback that we're not really sure about, small hands, uh, I'd be very pleased to having Kirk Cousins and, and the possibility of that offensive flowing uh, around him with the talent that you guys have. Yeah. Uh, again, again, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Again, I think I think Kirk is a very talented quarterback. I just think he again, he has limitations to what he can do, which is why he's not a top echelon quarterback. And and in my opinion, you know, the reality of needing a, an entire team and situation to be perfect around you to succeed the probability of that is so low in a, in a 18 game season, the probability that things are going to be perfectly the perfect for you the entire season is very, very low. Right. And so that's where Shashat, you mentioned, you know, the, the playing outside of that structure and, and, and that, that it's the NFL, right? You're good. You can't have an entire game where nobody pressures you. You're like, you're playing against also NFL caliber players. So you're going to get pressured. There's going to be good cornerbacks. You know, you're going to have to do things outside of structure. And that's where I think Kirk's biggest demise is. And that's why I think it's really difficult for me to see a world where 21 games in a row, everything is just absolutely perfect for Kirk Cousins for him to succeed. And so do I think he's a good quarterback? Absolutely. Do I think that there's too many things that need to work around him for him to be successful? I also think that as well. And so uh, that's where my skepticism lies on that. Um, and, and, and that's, that's, that's it. We can leave it at that. But um, yeah. what else do you guys have for Tage about the Lions or his Lions fandom? Anything else specifically for him about that? I think we hit a lot of main points when we talked about Swift and the receivers. And Dan yeah, Campbell, but- Dan Campbell. What are your thoughts, man? This guy's yeah. been like uh, crying in press conferences. Were you crying? Were you crying with him? Like, did you share that sentiment? What, and what, what is that like to have your head coach cry, but to also see that clearly the team is rallying around him and, and the team showed up every single week to play when they were always an inferior talent to most teams they faced. Yeah, <laughs> Dan Campbell's uh, interesting. Uh, you know, basically what they what they tried to do was, all right, who's the person who's the most opposite of Matt Patricia? Let's go <laughs> hire him for head coach, right? You hire someone who was a, was a, was on the offensive side. Um, you hire someone who's a rah rah guy. Maybe not, you know, someone who has like very you know well uh versed like scheme experience. Like, but so so my thing about Dan Campbell is like I'm I'm glad he's there. Um, you know, the, you know, my, my friend Jack who plays for the lions, like says, like, they like really buy into him. Like they, they really just rally around him. Um, I just think that, you know, like what's been successful in the league lately with head coaches is very smart offensive minds. Uh, Sean McVay and Zach Taylor were both in the Super Bowl this year. Matt LaFleur has done really well in, in Green Bay. Uh, Kyle Shanahan has done really well in San Francisco. And then like the Vikings made a really good hire getting Kevin O'Connell, who's who's supposed to be a, a good offensive mind. So that's my, you know, that's where I'm kind of worried about with Dan Campbell is like, I think, I think he can do a good job of building the culture and everything for the Lions, but I don't necessarily see him being the coach that that wins the Lions the Super Bowl just because 
there's there, the the Lions like offensive play calling isn't going to add the edge that other teams that they're going to have to go through are going to get from their play callers. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair assessment, but it, it was, again, this is a big eye testing, right? Because how do you statistically quantify that a team has rallied around a coach to play for him? Mm-hmm. And, and we all, all last year doing this podcast, we saw how like evident that was on a week to week basis, you know, and, and it was like the Lions were the team that, you know, you knew you should beat, but they were going to give you a tough game every single time they played. And obviously as the Vikings lost to them one of the times uh, we obviously know that better than any team. And so um, I think, I think that's a really big Testament uh, to Dan Campbell and the players buying in, but I'm, I, I agree with you in an advanced era, analytically driven era, offensively driven era uh, where you're, it seems like Dan Campbell is like the coach that you would have hired maybe 10 years ago. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I could absolutely be wrong. And he could, he could lead, lead that team to hoist the Lombardi, but I don't know. You, you mentioned one thing, Tage, you have a friend, Jack on the Lions. Are you familiar with, Brady Breeze on the Detroit Lions by chance? Uh, I'm not, but I did see that he was on your guys' show pretty recently, right? Yeah. So, ironically enough, I I was I was working with his girlfriend, and you know, mentioned I had a podcast. She was like, "Oh, he'll come on," and she was super forthcoming about it. So we were lucky enough and fortunate enough to get Brady Breeze on our podcast, and um, you know, he shared a ton of insights on in, on Dan Campbell and football as a whole. And so uh, he's he's officially a friend of the pod, and, and we're definitely rooting for him. So um, I didn't know if you if you knew anything about Brady Breeze or not, but um, that's that's all I got on the lines. What else do you guys is have it, for Tage? Is it Jack Fox? Yeah, Jeff Fox. Mm-hmm. Is he starting yeah. this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll be the starter. Oh, nice. Partner. Damn, yeah. that's awesome. That's awesome. So you guys go back, or how do you know? So we just like we just connected uh, on on Twitter, um, probably like like this time last year. No, actually, it might have been it might have been a couple months before this actually. Um, so you know, we we've just we've just kind of stayed in touch. Uh, you know, I, I try not to annoy him during the season <laughs> even when I get excited. Um, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll we'll just talk about like general stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, he's, he's a really good guy. You're just tweeting him like, holy shit, that punt inside the five, Jack, that was fucking phenomenal. Um, hey, if, if you and um, Jack both want to come during the season, talk, talk about some football. You're more than welcome yeah, to. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. I, I feel like we're turning into a Lions show because our first NFL player was a Lions player. And now it's an, an Alliance fan. And so I don't know if we're just going to become a Lions podcast, but uh, that's really, really interesting stuff. Tage, before we wrap things up, I had a quick little rapid fire segment for you. Uh, quick questions could be trivia, could be random. Uh, just want to shoot them your way. And I am going to permit you to use lifelines in Shoshot and Shovit if you don't know the answers to something. And I, we can make this a collaborative team effort. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot it your way. And then if anything, you know, you want to touch with them on, feel free to uh what's your favorite sport outside of football uh favorite sport to play or watch either or both um to play i i, I grew up a golfer um i, I enjoy wow. it <laughs> um and to watch it's it's basketball it's nba yeah nba are you a pistons fan i take it yeah i'm a pistons fan okay, okay. do you have a detroit bad boys hat <laughs> oh <laughs> i should get one though um you know hopefully hopefully this new era of pistons basketball has a cool nickname with it too so with kate and everything yeah uh nice. favorite football stadium you've watched a game at outside of lion stadium if any um so I, I i did have the opportunity to go to heinz field for a preseason game nice and nice. i thought it was so cool with like the three rivers that you could kind of like see over, over the stadium. I thought it was like a beautiful scenery. Uh, really, really enjoyed that experience. Yeah. Nice. Show it. Awesome. You're, sal- you're salivating all over that. Oh, I am hundred <laughs> percent. Cage Calvin Johnson or Randy Moss. 
um, yeah, like I, I, I do think Randy Moss was probably a slightly better receiver. Um, I, 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 I loved Calvin Johnson though. I, he just didn't play long enough and, and, you know, didn't, didn't have like the, the season with the, the Patriots like Randy Moss did. Fair you enough. Guys, you guys ended up having two of the most what if players of all time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Calvin I know, Johnson and like, Barry Sanders. Yeah. Like with, I wonder if like, you know, Calvin and, and Sanders were watching Stafford go and win the Super Bowl in his first year without lines this year and being like, oh shoot, we should have done that. Probably, right? <laughs> Calvin's they're contemplating like, coming out of retirement and being like, let me just sign with the fucking Buccaneers. Yeah. They're like, that was an option. Like nobody told me. <laughs> Dude, they believe Detroit Lions, baby. They were like, it's Detroit or bus for us. <laughs> Um, Tage, you can, you guys can help him out. 12 teams have yet to win a Super Bowl. Can you name all 12? Oh, this, <laughs> this oh wow. Um, we can start with the, the easy ones, right? Lions, Vikings, Boom. uh, Texans. Yep. Jaguars. Yep. Um, let's see here. Browns. Yep. Bengals. Yes. Uh, Titans. Correct. Anyone? Yep. Yeah. Um, now I might need some help. Uh, what, do you, what do you guys got? Yeah. You guys got any? Cardinals. Boom. Jaguars. We said that. He Here's, said Jaguars. Yeah. We're at eight. Four more. Um, do the Dolphins have a championship? They do. Yeah. One's, one's a team the Vikings just consistently lost in the Super Bowl against. Buffalo? Yes. Buffalo is number nine. One wow. is um, – we, we, we debated this team because of this running back and his, you know, I guess – Panthers Not controversy. Yeah. There you go. Panthers. Yeah, Panthers number 10. There's two more. And I don't, I don't know which ones you guys didn't say, but I'll say which conference. I think... Give Char- us the conferences. Chargers. Chargers, Chargers yeah. is 11. Boom. One more, yeah. one more. You guys got this. You guys got this. They've been in a super bowl pretty recently and they're going to be forever remembered for being in that super bowl. Oh, oh Falcons. No. Bam. That is number 12. <laughs> the Atlanta nice. Falcons, 12 teams have yet to win a super bowl, man. God, somebody's got to win, right? Some new team at some point, we have to start shrinking this list because this is almost half the NFL. It's kind of sad. Um, okay. Of the 12 Tage, who has the most realistic chance to win the super bowl this year? This year. Um, let's see here. I could, so I could see, I could see, um, the the I could see the Bengals like running it back just because those wide receivers are so good like like they could they could win the AFC again end up in the Super Bowl and then like one lucky bounce and and they win it right yeah could happen they were close I I would I would pick the Browns if we knew how much Deshaun was gonna play but like it seems like he will be suspended for for some part of the season maybe the whole season so so not them you guys you guys want to try pretty solid answer I would say the Bills or even the Chargers, right? We're all yeah. hyping up the Chargers offense and, and with their defensive signings and draft picks. I mean, you know, that's a team know. that... I don't know about their defense yet. That defense, I still got to right. watch a couple games. They, they have yet, they still have to prove their worth. But uh, again, with we talk about offense and it's an offensively driven league right now. Uh, again, the Chargers could take reign as the best mm-hmm. offense in the league. So um, let, let's end it off with, again, relevant running back information, right? This episode, like way back when, 10, 100 AD, when we started... Um, we were talking about running backs. So let's end this off with the biggest running back bust in fantasy football this year, in your opinion, Tage. Um, the, the biggest running back bust this year, I think, will be <laughs> who we talked about earlier with, with DeAndre Swift. Like, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I'm just, I, I guess I'm just not super high on like, on like the Lions in general this year. Like, I don't, I don't think they'll score that often. And I think like what, what you mentioned with like, the, there's just too many mouths to feed and there's not a good, 
cook that can that can feed all those mouths uh, successfully. So it's, it, I think I think he could he could just like kind of like get lost in the fold of everything like happening with the Lions this year. That's fair. And then on the on the contrary, biggest running back sleeper this year for you. Biggest running back sleeper is James Cook on the Bills. Um, you know, something that I really value coming out of college is your explosive run rate, like how many rushes you have that get over 10 yards um, over what is expected of you. And so he had the highest explosive run rate out of any running back in the draft. Uh, he's going to be on a, a really good offense. And I think he's like exactly what the Bills need when they have a light box and like it's an advantageous like RPO, just hand it off to James Cook. He could bust like 20 yards. And he's great at catching the ball too, right? And so it'll be a nice little safety net for Josh Allen if he wants to play the dink and dunk game. Um, that's all I got. That's Thank you so much for sticking through it with us. All of your insight on the analytics, incredibly useful, insightful. Uh, we're more than happy to have you back on at any point if you ever just want to shoot the shit and talk football because that is absolutely all we do. Uh, you guys have any final words for Tage? Dude, this has been oh, fun, man. man. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thanks thank you so lot. much for your time. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Like, you know, I, I really enjoyed coming on here. You guys are doing like like really good stuff. Um, definitely going to to listen to uh, some of the previous episodes because like you guys were were great to talk to. Um, and it was it was a really enjoyable experience. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Tage. Again, thank you so much, man. You are more than welcome to hop on at any point in the future. Uh, this is gonna wrap up the episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We're the only playbook. Peace out, guys.